I'm Ed Gross, and this is the Retrovision Classic TV and Movie Podcast, where we celebrate all our yesterdays, today and tomorrow. There's no escaping the fact that 2020 was a god-awful year, with pretty much everyone clamoring for it to end so we could get to 2021. Sadly, on December 30th, 2020, actress Dawn Wells, forever known as Marianne on Gilligan's Island, passed away, leading one online user to comment, Don't screw with me, 2021. But the reality is that Dawn's passing was a heavy burden for generations of fans who watched and enjoyed her on the series for the past 57 years. For that reason, we're doing a bit of a double feature here centered around Dawn. The first portion of the podcast features pop culture historian, entertainer, and author, and Dawn's close friend, Jeffrey Mark, remembering his relationship with her. And then we'll hear from Dawn herself in an interview that was conducted back in 2019 when Gilligan's Island was celebrating its 55th anniversary. By the way, apologies for some of the sound quality on the interview with Dawn. It was conducted before we knew it would be featured on a podcast. Given the friendship that you have with, with had with Dawn or have with Dawn, uh, let, let's start with how that happened. I mean, where? how did she enter your life? I think I entered hers. I, I don't think it was the other way around. Okay. In the mid-'90s, Dawn was producing a TV movie, I believe for CBS, about the making of Gilligan's Island. She was producing it, and she was playing the host on this show. It was a, a wonderfully made thing where they did a retrospective, not fictional, but had actors playing all the roles of the castaways, telling the story of how the thing came together. But Dawn was on camera playing Marianne, narrating the thing. It was very well done. Oh, okay. And that point my first of the two books about ella fitzgerald had come out and uh a wonderful also gone now friend of both of ours larry germain wanted to make a movie out of it my movie never happened but larry was a co-producer on the gilligan's island thing and i was in las vegas and flew in because he wanted me to be on the set to meet her and i did fly it fly it and they were doing a location shot in the heart of Hollywood. And I got to meet her. And she was everything you would not just expect, but hope her to be. She was incredibly well-groomed, youthful, way below her actual age. She looked like Marianne, but she was very smart, very focused, in charge, and enormously curious about everything that was going on around her. And I found that to be stimulating. It's like, oh, there's so much more here than I would have thought having seen her work. And we started talking for a little while and she was inquiring about my career, which I also found interesting, that she was not one of those people who wanted to only discuss herself, her life, her thoughts, she really wanted to know what was going on in other people's heads. And I enjoyed it very much. I thought, well, you know what? I've been privileged here. This is nice. And then she said, would you like to have a meal together sometime? Hmm. Who wouldn't want to have a meal with her? Of course. And I honestly don't remember whether we went to a restaurant or we went to her house and brought, oh, we went to her house. Now I remember. We went to her house and brought in takeout. Chinese okay. food. We, we, I must have been there for five hours. Wow. Uh, 
where was I from? What was my religion? What was my spirituality? Did I have siblings? What was my love life like? Uh, not in a tabloid kind of sense, but she was trying to figure me out. She right. was trying to see who, who was inside me. What was my soul like? And I found it fascinating, and I found her soul fascinating and complicated. Uh, she is not. She was not Marianne. That was a character she helped to create. And, uh, you know, over the course of years, I found out how she came to create the show, or at least her part in the show, that, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of intrigue with the making of Gilligan's Island. That could, that could be a whole podcast all by itself. Then we should do that so at some point, things. yeah. Because there were so many sets of fingerprints on that show, above mm -hmm. and beyond Sherwood Schwartz, who created the initial show and the initial characters. And through the years, I did get to hear some wonderful stories about that show, about other things she did in show business, and some of her show business friends, things that were personal to her. But more often than not, Dawn wanted to talk about morality, mores, hmm. uh, how something was or was not legitimate, uh, what were my views on, and she could pick a thousand topics. Right. So most of our time was spent trying to figure out how the world worked. Uh, I was a frequent guest in her house. Uh, four or five times she threw parties in my honor, usually for my birthday. Uh, one one that sticks out in my mind, and I don't remember which birthday it was, and I probably wouldn't tell you which one it was if I did. But <laughs> Fair enough. She had a pool in her backyard, and she made my birthday dinner a barbecue around the pool. And it wasn't a big party, but who needs big when you have... Dawn and her manager, my friends Peter Marshall and his lovely wife Laurie, Peter Marshall from the Hollywood Squares and Broadway, right. and Barbara Eden and her husband, wow. and our publicist, the wonderful, the wonderful Harlan Bowl, and his partner, and me. And it was a funny thing, we're sitting there with three television legends, Peter and Dawn and Barbara, but Harlan and I were doing all the storytelling. It's <laughs> kind of interesting. And, and, and at one point, Harlan and I kind of looked at each other. And one of us said, uh, there's something wrong with this picture here. You three should be telling all the stories. And, and they said, we've heard our stories. We want to hear yours. Right. Which was the kind of people Don liked to hang out with. That these people weren't all just... Uh, flying around in their own trajectory. They actually cared about other people, other people's thoughts. That's the kind of person Dawn was and Dawn liked to hang out with. Uh, her parties were legendary. The food was always unique. I don't mean like she, she flew into Thailand and brought food back, but I, she took time to choose even the smallest things, the nuts, the crackers, the cheeses, been into the moment, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Right. Uh, coffee and tea was served in a beautiful sterling silver 
coffee and tea service, which I now own. Wow. Uh, the, the wines were chosen carefully. And so was the discussion, because Dawn would not answer questions about show business at her own parties. Dawn would not allow any photos to be taken at her parties. She said, this is not a photo op. This is not a publicity tour. This is my home. This is my private life. I want to relax and have a good time. Right. And she gently but firmly would force her guests to play games about morality, about making choices. Um, your best friend is found out to be a felon. Do you rat them out or do you support them? making people actually think about things and you are privileged to be there because not only did it challenge whoever was there to think but it also gave you a good window into all the people who were there and what they thought really thought right i used to love them and then dawn's parties would go on to three four or five o'clock in the morning she threw poker parties she threw hors d'oeuvre parties she threw pool parties she loved entertaining. She loved arranging for people to have fun. Uh, she was a very, very deep thinker. Quite often, once I left living in Los Angeles for the desert, uh, or when I went elsewhere for whatever reasons, I'd be a house guest. She'd say, I'll oh, come in for a few days, or, hey, I'm going on tour of the play. Why don't you house sit for me? And I'll We'll have three days together on either side of my being away for a while. Right. Cats it for her. Very nice. And I am not a morning person. I am a night owl. I'm up half the night. A lifetime of working on the stage and in nightclubs. That's how my clock is. Not Dawn. Dawn was basically a film person. She was up, used to getting up very early in the morning. So I was in her guest bedroom, which was on the opposite side of the house of hers, but six o'clock in the morning, boom, 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 boom. The coffee is ready. Get out here and talk to me. <laughs> and, you know, you, you really had no choice in the matter. And I'd stumble out of bed, full transparency in a t-shirt and boxer shorts, and she'd be in a similar garb. I won't describe what she wore, but she wasn't wearing a whole lot. And we would just sit at her coffee table or sit at her kitchen table, and she'd start with the inquiries. The inquiries sounded like I was being cross-examined. I don't mean that. <laughs> Six o'clock in the I morning, mean, this is what you need. Good. No, but she was so good at coming up with stuff that as I would sip the very strong coffee she made, your mind woke up with her and she came up with some concept that was so fascinating to me that I would immediately be engaged. And because it was six o'clock in the morning, we could sit there for two hours doing that. And I'd make her breakfast or she'd make me breakfast and we'd keep talking about the state of the world, about the state of humanity, about the state of democracy. Um, when the topic of gay marriage came up, although she had many gay friends, she wasn't sure how she felt about it. Hmm. And we talked that out for hours 
the pros and the cons, what she was taught as a child, because she came from a very interesting background, because her father was quite wealthy, uh, part owner of the Thunderbird Hotel in Las Vegas. She was brought up in Reno, Nevada. Her mother was middle-class Italian with very, very middle-class Italian Catholic values. And uh, Dawn didn't want to automatically assume anything, even her own stance on something. She would pick it up like it was a crystal and look at it from every angle, every bevel, to make sure she knew what she meant before she said something. Right. Uh, so I, I don't mean to pin that she was in any way homophobic. She wasn't. Believe me, she wasn't. But she wanted to make sure she knew how she stood. I, I admire that about her so much. Right. And it's what, it's what, it, it's what made being around her so interesting. Uh, I, I, could, I could call up any number of show business friends and we could talk for hours about show business gossip, uh, history of show business, shows we've worked on, people we've worked with. With Dawn, it was different. Dawn was intellectually stimulating. Dawn was spiritually stimulating. And fun. She made me laugh. We, we laughed a lot together. Right. Uh, so we built a real trust between us and... Uh, the last few years have been a challenge in our friendship because Dawn was not well. Dawn got ill, gosh, six or seven years ago, had a, a major illness. Not life-threatening, but major. Major enough that she was in the hospital for a little while. Okay. After that, she wasn't quite the same. Uh, her energy level wasn't what it had been. Her ability to focus so sharply wasn't what it had been. And... Uh, she was no longer as mobile as she had been. Right. When I say as mobile, she may have been in her 70s at one point, but she had the energy level of a 35-year-old. Right. And she was constantly flying here, flying there, doing this play, doing that play, working constantly. Uh, that, that calmed down after her illness. Uh, and then I moved to the desert, and... Uh, I wasn't in town every day. So I didn't see her quite as often. We talked more on the phone. Uh, we did have the chance in the last few years to work together several times, and that made me very happy. Right. Uh, to do things in public, in front of an audience, together. Um, one time we did a thing where she interviewed me. It was a, a, a show, celebrities interviewing celebrities. And they chose her to interview me. And every nice. time I did thriller, uh, we, we appeared at festivals together, we appeared at uh, show business functions together. That's why there's so many photos of the two of us flying around the world. In fact, NBC, when they did their obituary on her, used a photo of the two of us working together, oh, which wow. thrilled me. To... Yeah, as uh, well it should. You know, I mean, she was 82 years old. Uh, our birthdays are to the day exactly a month apart almost. Right. Uh, by 20 years. Dawn was 20 years, now you know how old I am. Dawn was 20 years <laughs> older than I. Uh, so the last time I spoke to her was for her birthday and I sang happy birthday to her. You know, she, you know, like when I spoke to her and we talked about 
typecasting and Gilligan's Island limiting her career and all that. She seemed very matter of fact about it. It's like, look, you know, you can complain. You choose to do something. It's your choice to do something. You do it and you live with the results of that, whatever the results may be. Uh, I just wonder from your point of view, did you ever get any sense of, did she look at Gilligan's Island as a blessing, a curse, a combination of the both? I mean, how did she look at that in terms of its impact on her life and her career? Uh, that, that's an easy question to answer. How did she look at Gilligan's Island positively? She was very wise. She understood there's nothing wrong with typecasting if the typecasting leads you to getting work. Dawn knew she was beautiful, but never knew how beautiful. Dawn knew she was talented, but she never really knew how talented. And she was really a great actor. So she felt, you know, she'd done work before Gilligan. She'd done, I think, Gunsmoke, and she'd done Bonanza. She did a couple of films, one with Barbara Eden, which is why she and Barbara were so close. But she knew that it was Gilligan's Island that put her on the map. She also knew, and I'll share a little bit about the beginnings of Gilligan's Island, that she and Tina Louise were not in the original pilot. Right. The original pilot is written by Sherwood. Uh, the professor was brainy but brawny. And, you know, definitely I'm taking off my shirt, girls, watch this kind <laughs> right. of character. And the two girls, and I don't even know if the names Ginger and Marianne applied yet, were just two interchangeable secretaries who had nothing specific about them. And CBS told Sherwood, you know, all right. We understand this very strange concept you're doing could be funny, but the casting is wrong and the characters aren't defined. And my friend, uh, Austin Kalish, whose nickname is Rocky, and Sherwood's brother, they're the ones who came up with Ginger and Marianne. They recast the professor with my friend Russell and uh, cast Tina and Dawn. But there was very little in what was written to give the actors great direction in how to play the parts. So both Tina and Dawn got the chance to really inhabit the characters. Uh, all, all Tina was given, and not even that really, because that's a whole other, a whole other thing. Right. Because Tina thought she was the star of the show. That's what I've left heard. <laughs> left a Broadway musical to be in this show starring Tina Louise and found out at the first read that she was a supporting player. It's, it's that wonderful line from Natalie Schaefer as they're sitting around the table and about 17 pages in, Tina's like, I'm the star of this show. How come I have not anything to say? And Natalie turns to her and says, tell me, dear, didn't the name Gilligan's Island give you a clue? <laughs> there you go which, you know, began to see sow the seeds of, of discontent with Tina and the show and between Tina and Dawn. But Dawn's character was underwritten. So Dawn brought to it what she thought a girl of that age from a Midwestern background, from a farm background, would be like. Right. With very little to inform her. So Dawn took great pride in making Marianne so memorable, in making Marianne so lovely that 
she was well aware of the game. Ginger and Marianne, enormously aware of the game. Right. And that the game had been played from the 1960s to the very minute you're hearing my voice right now. People are saying, you know, which one? And the question is, which one would you go to bed with? And which one would you take home to mom? And most often the answer is Marianne. I'm with you. Because she made Marianne so... I'm sorry? I'm with you. Yep, Marianne. That was always my choice. Yep. She made Marianne so sweet, so real, so lovable, so sexy, without being a sex punk. Uh, She she informed this character with, with many traits of her own and some that were not hers making the character, you know, all these years, six decades out, a television icon. Right. It wasn't their fault that the show got canceled. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this story before, but they canceled Gunsmoke, which had been on the air then about 17 years. Uh, 55, 65, I'm sorry, 12 years. They felt it had run its course and that Westerns had run their course. But the man who owned CBS, the head of the company, William Paley, his wife, Babe, it was her favorite show. Right. And when she found out it had been canceled, she insisted that it be brought back. Well, to, to bring it back, they had to carve out an hour of time. And they were about to put Gilligan's Island on Monday nights right before Lucy. Can you imagine the ratings of Gilligan's Island back-to-back with Lucy? That would oh, have been yeah. enormous. Absolutely. Instead, they canceled. They canceled a new sitcom that had never been on before, and Gilligan's Island, and put Gunsmoke on Monday nights before Lucy. Otherwise, the show would have run for years. Right. When the show was over, uh, Dawn got married. It didn't work out for a marriage. It worked out for a friendship. The man she married many years later got ill with cancer, and she took him into her home wow. and nursed him until he passed away. Uh, Dawn began to give back. Dawn bought a camp in Idaho, and every summer made it into a drama camp for young professionals looking to learn their craft. Wow. Uh, Dawn began to tour all over the country. Uh, she must have learned 50 or 60 plays and played everywhere in the United States and Canada, all kinds of characters. Uh, she did the female uh, odd couple with Marsha Wallace, who was a very good friend of hers and mine. Right. So she spent her time doing cartoon voices, plays, Gilligan's Island reunions. She loved meeting her public. She loved doing autograph shows. Dawn was always busy. There was always a project. And like I said, in the 90s, she produced that that piece about Gilligan's, and she also did a similar one with Adam West and Burt Ward about the making of Batman. Both did very, very well for her. She had a rich social life. She had lots and lots of friends, people who adored her. Uh, She had more male friends than female friends. She was not the conniving female type. Straight from the shoulder, this is how it is, let's get on with it kind of person. Right. And she didn't resent Gilligan's Island. She always knew that this opened up this door for her. You know, if you walked into her house, 
everywhere were mementos of her travels. She had all sorts of African and Indian art and artifacts and relics, and all of this came from, from, from the fame being Marianne brought her. And she loved it, and she appreciated it. She appreciated that she could live so well, travel so much. Everywhere she went, she had a friend. Right. Immediately. How could you not like that? Well, talk to Tina Louise sometimes, because she is the polar opposite. She hated Gilligan's Island. She resented having left Fade Out, Fade In with Carol Burnett on Broadway. And except for one time in the 80s, once the show was over, she never looked back, did not stay in touch with her co-stars, didn't have anything nice to say about the show, uh, about the only person that Tina liked, according to Dawn, uh, was Jim Backus. Mostly because push comes to shove, Jim was the biggest star on the show. He did right. the most work. You know, he'd been in movies, he'd started his own sitcom, and uh, and immediately worked right after the show, too. Yep. Dawn chose, you know, you, you'd choose your attitudes. Dawn chose the attitude of a positivity of, this was a wonderful thing that happened to me, and I'm going to take advantage of it and enjoy it. Right. I don't think she ever felt, I could have done this or I could have done that had I not been in Gilligan's Island. And what's nice is you, what you said about her a minute ago about the plays she learned and that sort of thing. What's nice is it puts to bed the rest, uh, puts to rest rather, the the feeling that a lot of people probably have from the surface outside looking in that, oh, the poor dear, after Gilligan's Island, she really didn't work much. She did work a lot, it seems. Dawn played nuns, prostitutes, unmarried mothers. Uh, beaten women, uh, comedy heroes. Uh, there, there are very few plays that have a strong female lead that Dawn didn't do sooner or later somewhere in the 50 states and Canada. Right. They paid very well. She made a very nice living. Uh, she wasn't a multimillionaire or anything, but she made a very nice living. Oh, let's put that one to bed too. There has been this rumor for years and years and years that Dawn somehow was so smart that she negotiated a special deal with Sherwood that she got money and reruns in perpetuity forever, which made her very, very wealthy. Not true. She had the same contract everybody else did. And in the 1960s, I believe you got paid for five reruns yep. each time in decreasing amounts. Uh, of what your original salary was. And after that, you got paid nothing. So although she made some money, they, they did three Gilligan's Island reunion movies in the late 70s. Uh, those things, because they were shot later in different contracts, that was something from which she got some money every year. The Gilligan's Island cartoon series of the 70s, also some money every year. But no, she was not wealthy because of Gilligan's Island. Her career was wealthy because of Gilligan's Island, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, look, I, you, you've got a friend here uh, who's passed, and, and I know the pain of that sort of thing. 
for the rest of the world, I mean, you know, obviously everyone's saying, oh, Marianne from Gilligan's Island has, has passed away and all that. So what is the legacy? Is it Gilligan's Island? Is it Marianne? I mean, what do you think Dawn's legacy is? Dawn's legacy, you have to break up professional and personal. Mm -hmm. Professionally, Dawn achieved something very few actors get to do. She helped to create and inhabit a role in a TV series that became iconic. You know, not every TV show, even hit TV shows, remain iconic. They may be big at the moment. Not very many of them really have legs. Right. There are a dozen TV shows in history that, when I say they have legs, that decade after decade after decade, new audiences find them, old audiences hang on to them, and they're, they're a part of our pop culture. I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Star Trek, The Twilight Zone, uh, The Odd Couple, All in the Family. Gilligan's Island. There are other big hits that come and go and 10 years later, oh yeah, I, I remember that show. Right. Whatever happened to it. For some reason, Gilligan's Island resonates every time a young person sees it, there's a new fan. And the old folks still like to watch it. So she got to inhabit this part in this show which was iconic, and she made Marianne iconic. Uh, how iconic? Uh, as of the time we're talking, which is a few days after her death, I have been contacted by over a thousand people wow. about her. And that's a lot of people to call me in four days. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of Jeff having to speak on her behalf. Right. Uh, I've, I've only given... Uh, two interviews, yours and somebody else, mm. because I love you. Oh, thank you. Um, but the point here, and everyone who's listening should listen to your shows because you're wonderful. <laughs> the point here being that she made such a mark. There is something about that character that embodies what people would like young women to be like. Marianne was nobody's victim. Marianne was the heart of the show. I don't mean she was the focus of the show. I mean she was the heart of the show the same way Edith Bunker was the heart of all in the family. Right. It was Marianne who told the truth. It was Marianne who, you know, pushed back her sleeves and said, let's get to work here. It was Marianne who comforted everybody on the island. It was Marianne who cooked for everybody on the island, made sure they were fed. Uh, she was the rudder of what was right and what was wrong. When everybody else was being a little selfish, you never really saw Marianne being selfish. She was trying to do, was good for everybody. Right. And she was beautiful. And yes, she looked incredible in those little itty bitty shorts that she wore. Uh, that that is an incredible legacy, I think. Personally, she mentored so many people. She reached out to people in trouble. She helped people. She created a coterie of friends around herself. 
it is it is hard for people today perhaps to understand how difficult historically it has been for a woman in show business uh, because dawn came along at a time when women were still second-class citizens and men expected them to you know part the waters and let them go first right and for a woman who had a career to advocate for herself was rare and the ones who did like lucille ball were called names who does she think she is being a full person Dawn was a full person, um, a loving, caring, intelligent, full person. Don't screw around with her. But if you treated her well, she treated you doubly well. I think that's a wonderful legacy also that, you know, that I've had to, with, with great respect for her memory, deal with her loss publicly because so many people are hurting that she passed away. It's a wonderful professional and personal legacy. Um, I, I think her tour of duty went very well. It's on. It is. It is. Speaking with. This is Ed Gross calling. Hello, Ed Gross. How Hello. are you today? Good, good Dawn Wells. How are you? And where are you? I am in New York on Long Island at oh. the moment. Is it cold and snowy and rainy? It is cold, and it is supposed to go to Arctic Blast this evening, so I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Take a walk right now while you can. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I can now, but yeah. It's just like, they're saying, oh, tomorrow it's going to be zero with a minus windshield, you know, windshield degree of ten, minus 10. It's like, great. Oh, my Some, God. Oh, it's, oh it's, my God. But I really shouldn't complain because, you know, out Midwest or something, they're getting like minus 50 with windshield. No, really? Yeah. It's probably four feet of snow. Oh, it's probably crazy. Oh. So it's just... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to be about 70 here in a nice sunshine. <laughs> See, now my, I have no, no idea. my normal response would be, oh, shut up. But I'm not going to do that because I respect you, Dawn Wells, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can quote you, though. <laughs> nah, you don't want to do that. Uh, that was off the record. <laughs> Whatever that's Okay, called. off the record. Off the record, okay. exactly. Obviously, I have to begin with this. Uh, gee, what a shock. Uh... Is it mind-blowing at all to you that Gilligan's Island is celebrating 55 years? It truly is. Is it? But I mean, it's mind-blowing that it's been that long because I'm not that old. Of course but not. <laughs> it's, what's, but what's bothering me, I mean, what's, what's amazing me is, you know, the critics hated it and thought it was the worst thing in the entire world, and we've never been off the air yeah. since 1964. It, it says something about what, what, they, what Sherwood created, truly. It, it, that that's an interesting point. In your mind, what does that say? I mean, what was it about Gilligan's Island? Because it is on the surface. You watch it. Oh, it's just a silly little comedy with you know lots of slapstick and that sort of thing. But what mm -hmm. was it? What is it about it that has allowed it to transcend generation to generation? Do you think? Well, I think truly one of the things it was beautiful. It was a sitcom out of the living room. It was pretty to look at. But you know, it's no mom and dad and with three kids in the Bronx. It was not that at all. It was positive. Everything about it was positive. Even though Alan and, and Gilligan and the Skipper didn't get along, they, did, they got along happily that way. It was um, talented. I think it was a great cast. And I think it was, seeing a sitcom with beautiful palm trees and stuff around it was different. And I think all of the talent was really good. And the writing was silly, but no sillier than any other sitcom in that generation. Right. I mean, I think it was different to look at. And I think wholesome, 
it, it, it was, it's very interesting that nobody thought it would last 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And we've never been off the air. Right, which is, and it, what's but amazing. every sitcom is a family. Every sitcom is a family, and mom and dad and kids in the neighborhood. The neighborhood, we didn't have one, and I think you liked looking at something pretty. Yeah. And I think Bob, Bob and Alan together were wonderful, and I think Bob was really a genius with comedy. It was cast perfectly, too. Oh, absolutely. What amazes me, I think, is the fact that we are in times that are so different. I mean, we're, you know, people are, shall we say, a lot more cynical to, <laughs> to a large degree. Yes. Uh, yes. And it amazes me, though, that something as wholesome as you said can last into 2019 with rumors of a new movie and all kinds of stuff always going around. And yet people have changed so much, and yet somehow this little artifact lives on. I think part of it was the location. Yeah. I mean, you might have put us all in a family in, in Des Moines, but it's everybody's block. It's everybody roller skating. It's everybody next door neighbor. How do they all survive? It was, it was a fantasy, I think. It, 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 it's unusual. I mean, Sherwood had kind of a childlike outlook on life himself anyway. He was always very positive. And everybody on the show was very positive, with a couple of exceptions. But Alan and Bob together were there. Was he hit him on the head with a hat? He didn't. Re, he wasn't really mad at him, right? But you, but you took it as discipline. But it wasn't a bad discipline, and everything was beautiful. Palm trees and Tina Louise and and Mr. and Mrs. Howell were terrific. I, I think the casting was brilliant, and I don't know that the direction had much to do with it. I, I, I don't know that because we had a lot of directors. Yeah. But the scripts were very simple, and they worked. And like, and you bring up the thing about Sherwood being childlike. I mean, let's give the man credit in the sense of not only did he create Gilligan's Island, but what was the other dismissible show, quote and unquote, around that he created was the Brady Bunch. And look how that that Brady thing Bunch. is still going now with the it's HGTV reality uh-huh. show. Uh huh. It's amazing. I, I think he had a, 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 a child childlike look on life. I think Sherwood did. Yeah. Himself, he was always positive. He'd, he was never angry or, or upset. I mean, maybe he was in some of the writing, but I don't think so. He looked at life through rose-colored glasses, I think. For you, though, this whole classic TV thing, is it something you've always embraced? Is it something that you resisted for a while and then said, what the hell, it ain't going away? I mean, what, what is your whole view of this whole way that Gilligan and the whole classic TV thing has followed you for all these years? Well, it's interesting because... I'm Don Wells is very much a Marianne. I'm very positive. I'm, I always have a good outlook on everything. I always want to play the bitch. I always want to play the hooker. I never get to. I always have to play the ingenue and the good girl. And, and it, it was, Marianne was very much who I've done a lot of, so to speak. And, and you like her. And I have written a book, What Would Marianne Do? It's in reprint now. And one of the things is we need a Marianne today telling us what to do. Moms and dads are both working. Kids are on drugs. Uh, uh, it's it's a very different civilization. My mother knew where I was every single minute, and I grew up in Nevada. My parents were divorced, gambling, divorce, prostitution in the state of Nevada. My mother knew everything I was doing. Today, it's a different world. And I think at Gilligan's Island kind of brings the whole family together to say, right is right, you know, good yeah. is good. And I, and I think that's the reason it's lasted. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's funny. I spoke to Lloyd Schwartz recently, and he said to me, he goes, every time they would do a Gilligan reunion movie or something, and they'd build the huts again, his father would say, I'm home. And Lloyd said to me, he goes, I don't know what that meant exactly, because it's like he grew up in, like, Brooklyn or whatever he said he grew up. uh, He goes, I don't understand how the huts were home, but somehow that made him feel like he was at home. So, Well, it was his soul, kind of. I think that's the inside of Sherwood. Yeah. It was a gentle soul. I guess he had to be angry at times and all of that, as we all do in this industry. But he he, he was a good man. Yeah. And I and and it wasn't 
it wasn't corny. It could have been corny if we were all living in Detroit. But because of where we were and the, the stupidest things with the hunters and the headhunters and stuff like that and the glamour. I mean, Ginger always looked perfect. There wasn't a mirror around. I mean, that little fantasy we all kind of clung to at that generation, I think. Also, they had more clothes for a three-hour tour than anybody would ever have, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I always found that hysterical. Yeah. You know, that's unpacking. Uh-huh. Um, no, <laughs> Marianne but, was probably doing the laundry. Yeah, right, probably, or cooking, one or the other. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and what I was getting at before, though, was has this ever been a hindrance to you, or have you always embraced it? Because I know some of the actors from different shows over the years – where it's gone on and on and on, kind of rebel against it a while, and then ultimately come back to it. Where were you with this whole thing? Well, I have an attitude about it. When I got cast out, I thought, here I go, I'm another ingenue again. But I had gone back to the stage doing Owl and the Pussycat, and a lot of pretty dramatic, always wanted to play a hooker, a bitch, all of that. I I, I did in theater, so I I was able to satisfy my, my... ability of acting in, in other areas. And I embraced it. I embraced it because I was always the ingenue and I thought the show was a good show. It isn't something I'd say, Oh, could I please get into that one? But uh, I was blessed that I was cast and I broke the image when I went back to work. So I've had a little bit of both. I, I can't criticize it because I think it was a good show. Yes. The, because the t- because nobody imagined the show living on the way this has, and a lot of shows from that era have, Obviously, there weren't residuals. There weren't all the things that made it like like yeah, today's right. shows. They you didn't you, right. you didn't benefit from all those years of reruns and stuff. And I wonder if that I'm not trying to be nosy here or pick up dirt or anything like that. But I'm just curious as a person, was that hard to cope with, or did you just say, well, that well, that it was- is hard. It's hard to accept. You have to rationalize it and realize that's the way it was. Yeah. Nobody came in at the beginning and said, if it's ever going to run again, I want $10,000 a week. No one even knew to say that. Yeah. We did get paid, I think, for the first five years, maybe. And maybe I made a total of $50,000 all total, maybe. But uh, you can't be, you can't say, well, damn it, it was always in black and white, or damn it, there was no sound. You can't go back. If, 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 if you thought it was a silly show and didn't want to do it, turn it down. Right. Those residuals and stuff weren't happening then. I mean, you can't help it. Now you'd be making millions of dollars. I wouldn't ever have to work again. But you wouldn't know who I was, and I wouldn't get another role because of it. So right. there you go. <laughs> there you go. Exactly true. <laughs> you can't be bitter in life, you know? No, I'm not, asking, I'm not saying, yeah, good, because I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, you should be bitter about this. Because, look, there are a lot of people in the same exact boat you were in and, and Bob was in and everybody was in when it came to residuals. Yeah. And, the, and the, look at the Star Trek guys. My understanding is those guys got paid the first five reruns. And then the residuals think, ran out. I think that was us, too. First five reruns, and that was it. Yep. And so so by yep. once you hit syndication, you get your first five reruns done in, like, a year. <laughs> then it's, uh-huh. like, 50 but years. If, you, if you'd have done something 10 years prior, you wouldn't even get the reruns. Yeah, that's true, right? I mean, that's, that, that's history as exactly. it goes along. <laughs> exactly. That is precisely right, you know. You know, you mentioned yeah. the book you wrote. What, what led you to write the book? Because I think Marianne's a, a character that's not on television very much. I think it's families that kind of don't get along and everything. And I think Marianne had the values. I think she kept everybody on their toes. Uh, uh, you know, not, you couldn't read the scripts that way. But I think Marianne was the moral compass. I think she, you know, she wanted to make sure the Howells weren't fighting. She and Ginger got along. It would, nowadays, you probably have them in competition. You know, and Bob and Alan, look at, look at the relationship between the two of them. He just hit him on the hat and they laughed. Right. He didn't fire him. I mean, I think it was a good soul, and I think that was Sherwood Shorts' writing and his concept. And sure. I think everybody kind of clung to that, whether you were 12 years old or 40. 
What was your perception of the fact, because Tina was so obviously, after the show ended, was so anti the show for, I think, many, many, many years. Why was that? I'm just curious, because everybody else seemed to embrace it so fully, and it seemed like she was the one who really did not embrace Gilligan's Island. And I don't know whether to quote it or not, but I don't think she was told the truth about the show. I think I think that maybe he said to her, you're going to be the movie star on an island. And I think she, in her mind, thought, oh, well, I'm the movie star on the island. Doesn't mean that I have other actors with me. That's my that's my mm. perception. But yeah. she also considered herself a star. Right. I don't know what her salary was. Maybe she was getting paid enough. She certainly looked beautiful, and she certainly had a, as good a role as anyone else. But I think maybe he said, I've got a show for you. You want a star in it? I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. Yeah. And she was not temperamental to work with. She might have been with the directors, but not with us. Well, that's good. Seriously. And she taught me a lot. I learned a lot about camera angles and stuff. No, I want it from this side. No, I want to do it this way. And I was—I didn't pay much of attention. So she taught me a great deal. Really, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. those reunion movies. You did three reunion movies. Were those fun to do? Or yeah, it is kind of fun. You kind of think, where are we now? I mean, it, it wasn't the same humor. I don't think it was fun all getting together. Yeah, it was fun seeing each other all getting together. It wasn't the same chemistry, but um, that, that's kind of remarkable too. I can't go anywhere in the world. You know, it was translated in I don't know how many languages, and it it could be. You weren't talking about anything political. Oh, yeah. You know? So it was an escape for everyone. As a character, you know, uh, I mean, I remember reading years ago that you were commenting on that you would get fan mail from soldiers in Vietnam who said that Marianne actually helped them get through the the tough times. What sort of impact do you find that she had, the character, you as the character, of course, had, and why? Well, I think, if, if talking about the soldiers across the sea, I think you want to marry Marianne. Yeah. You want Marianne to be your sister. You want her to be your wife, the mother of your children. All the things that Marianne kind of stood for were the good things. And he was smart enough to put me in short shorts to make me sexy. <laughs> yes. So did. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just a little girl <laughs> sucking on a sucker. She, 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 had, she had balls, pardon the expression. She stood up for what she believed in. Yeah. She had, she had as much say-so as anybody else, but she did it nicely. And one could say so did Dawn Wells, who is a presence from the annals of classic TV that is certainly going to be missed. At the time of our conversation, Dawn was gearing up for what was being billed as a classic TV cruise, where she was looking forward to performing with Barry Williams, who we all know and love as Johnny Bravo. Sadly, the pandemic prevented that cruise from taking place. And on that cheerful note, we hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.